This is District Sentinel Radio. It's the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. And we are broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. This is the show that we do for you, our subscribers. Thank you so much. We've got the garbage can coming out later. Got some FOIA talk in the middle of the show. But, uh, man, it's been a rough week. We've made it to the weekend here, but it's been a bad week. Bad week for the United States. I don't remember, I can't remember the last time the U.S. has had a good week. It's been a long time. A very, very long time. I'm sure people can make an argument that we've never had a good week. Yeah, I was just about to say. uh, Winning World War II... Maybe that was the only good week in U.S. history. Maybe. Yeah, we'd have to really uh, rack our brains trying to come up with something because it seems like there's always been shit going on in in our times. <laughs> Whether and e- and even then, even then, it's really only the um, victory in Europe that was like unequivocally good because obviously victory against Imperial Japan ended with uh, yeah one of the worst war crimes ever. Yeah, that was bad atrocities. I I don't want to call. I don't know. Uh, war crime is a bit of a bullshit term because there's really no such thing as a war crime. Um, I mean, if you look at how inconsistently the uh, concept has been applied, but definitely an atrocity. Hiroshima and Nagasaki, just trying to just trying to swing our dicks at the Soviets. Yeah, so I guess if you take into account the the genocide of the Native Americans that that, that was the start, plus slavery, uh, slavery, plus Jim Crow, plus like the building up of U.S. Empire, the World Wars, which were bad, fucking the influenza, the Spanish flu, first uh, and second Red Scare. Uh, yeah, there's not there's not segregation. a lot. To be- Oh, I guess the uh, winning the Civil War was uh, was an all right week, but the joy didn't last too long. Yeah, maybe there was a week where it seemed like the country might have been on the right track. <laughs> but uh, Ni- 1992 Dream Team winning the gold medal. <laughs> well, we now are dealing with uh, mass shootings and uh, losing my mind a bit over the one this week in Uvalde, Texas, at Robb Elementary. I I think I'm kind of a, I'm a bit numb to these mass shootings in general. There's just so many of them that happen all the time. And even ones at school, like, it's like, it happens. You're like, God damn, this is, this is awful. I hate it here. But a few days later, it's like, you're back to normal. It's just shit you deal with living in the United States. Yeah, I I I, I was pretty torn up over uh, Sandy Hook, and yeah. um, I've I've just like you said, I've just tried to numb myself since. Like I'm I'm trying not to um, expect anything from anyone because nothing happened after Sandy Hook, which was like, what, like five and six year olds were systematically murdered. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I think numb the population. Um, 
This one's uh, hitting a bit different because there's another element to it. And that is the police response. And let's be clear, we aren't bringing up how awful the police did here to advocate for better training or to say that like there was a correct response here by the police. Fundamentally, police cannot stop these mass shootings. Like the the idea that in order to stop uh, the next guy who wants, or it's always men, the only to stop the next guy who wants to shoot up in elementary school, we need a bunch more police there. Or we need a bunch more people with guns there. It's not going to happen. Like people still get killed and Shooters will still get in there. If if they want to get in there, if they have planning, they can get the jump on anyone. It's important to recognize that the cops were there (laughs) and they didn't stop this. And in fact, they facilitated it to a certain degree. And we don't even know how bad it is because we're now on the latest iteration of what happened, according to the police here. Yeah, and and, and at first they said that there were... um that two police officers exchanged fire with uh, the gunmen outside the school and that they were injured. And then they said that they were shot. And then they said, actually, there were no officers outside the school. Yes, the story's been changing. Uh, and the latest iteration is really bad. <laughs> it's really bad. Which, which, which makes you kind of think that they finally have come clean because they don't come away looking good at all. Or what really happened is even worse. True. <laughs> so uh, we we now know that officers were on the scene and could have within minutes uh, breached the classroom where the shooter was holed up, but chose not to. Uh, the commander in charge was thrown under the bus in this latest press briefing by the director of public safety for Texas police. And uh, the stand down order was given because officials say they believed everyone in the room was already dead. So they had time. Now, mind you, kids were calling 911 from that same room. Asking the police. To come. And cops were hearing gunfire in the room still. Also, how many people might have been injured and bleeding out that needed like immediate medical care? And you're just waiting outside the room. There's a story of a little girl who survived the initial barrage of gunfire. She was injured and she smeared some blood from her dead friend next to her on her and played dead. Hoping that he wouldn't come back toward her and see that she was alive and kill her. So that's like, imagine every minute of that trauma of going through that experience, wondering when the police are going to show up and they were right outside the door, but choosing not to do anything about it because they assumed everyone was dead. And that's what they claim though. Like that's, that's the current iteration of the story, which is, oh, well we made this assumption. It like, which was, And they say it's a reasonable assumption. First off, it wasn't a reasonable assumption (laughs) at all, at all. 
And second off, how can you how can you actually make that assumption? I feel like I feel like the, the real story here is even worse. Like they just didn't care or they were just straight up cowards. Not that they like made this calculated decision that they had time because everybody was dead. No. You can't believe that. There's another possibility which uh I'm not so inclined to believe, but um, if they're one reason that they might want to cover it up is maybe they went in actually guns blazing and shot a bunch of kids. That could have happened too. I think the the forensics would be pretty pretty clear on that, and uh, I don't know. I th- I think the cowardice is a, a much more logical explanation. Texas DPS Director McCraw says, quote, it was the wrong decision. Very wrong. There's no excuse for that. When there's an active shooter, the rules change. There's no longer a barricaded subject. You don't have time. Well, easy to say that now, I guess. For the record, it wasn't just one or two or even three cops in the hallway. There were 19 of them in the hall. 19. One for every dead kid. On the day of the shooting, Texas Governor Greg Abbott said, quote, let me emphasize something that I know you all know. The reality is as horrible as what happened. It could have been worse. The reason it was not worse is because law enforcement officials did what they do. They showed amazing courage by running toward gunfire for the singular purpose of trying to save lives. And it is a fact that because of their quick response, getting on the scene being able to respond to the gunman and eliminating the gunman, they were able to save lives. That's just fucking insane. <laughs> <laughs> no, they fucking weren't. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, he just like totally made that shit up. Just totally made that up. It's not at all what happened. The gunman was outside the school for up to 12 minutes just shooting around. Then he was able to enter the school, exchange gunfire, And again, we don't know exactly what we're getting stories as they come days later from the police. Apparently exchanged gunfire before going into the classroom. Then those cops decided not to go in after they heard the barrage of gunfire and assumed everyone was dead. So there was no point anymore. Man, it it almost kind of seems like and took an hour. It took an hour. Right. And he's talking about how quick. And and most of these mass casualty shooting events, um, they don't last this long. And I don't want to downplay, um, you know, how what a depraved fucking individual the shooter was. And you know, I I see some Republicans saying like this guy was pure evil, obviously trying to deflect from uh, policy solutions to this, but. I mean, they do have a point. You have to be like absolutely, uh, you know, Hitler level type of person to do this sort of thing. But it does almost seem like based on the chain of events or whatever, that this guy was trying to commit suicide by cop. They didn't engage with him. And he just said, fuck it. 
I don't know that. that I mean, the, of course, he did. He did warn that person in Germany he was going to go shoot up a school. Right? He's like, I'm going to. I killed. I shot my grandma, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go shoot up a school. So I think he kind of had intention to do that. Maybe I don't know why he would have stayed outside for 12 minutes. If that's even true that that happened, I don't know. And like, I like trying to get into the the mind of someone who is about to to shoot classroom full of kids uh not sure you can honestly glean much from it like just madness to a certain extent right it's just kind of yeah and as important as gun control laws would be um i mean he he waited till he was 18 to buy the gun right because he couldn't get it before then because the law prevented him from getting it before then so conceivably, if the law prevented him from getting a gun till he was 21, he'd have waited until he was 21 and maybe he would have been in a b- bit of a better mindset and chosen not to do this or gotten help along the way or something. But this is a, a very diseased country. <laughs> like, as we said, we haven't had a good week ever. Um, and, you know, we, we there's still 400 million something guns circulating. So if if gun control measures were passed, like it would solve a lot of this stuff. It, it would cut down on a lot of mass shootings and suicides, but we would still have tremendous amount of gun death compared to the rest of the world um, due to uh, our, our mental health system and the, again, easy access there is to weapons in this country and just a general mentality of like nobody gives a shit about each other around here. Like, we just don't. It's kind of dark. I don't want to, like, be a doomer that this country is, like, no good. But it's a lot of no good it, it elements It is no good. Here. It's, it's no good. It's no good. It's really I not. mean, I, I do see people on the left sort of saying, like, well, gun control isn't the real issue. It's uh, how deeply fucked up the United States is. And... To a certain degree, they're right, but we are not unique in being a fucked up. I mean, we are in many ways unique in how fucked up we are, but other countries are fucked up too. Like, for example, uh, England, you know, the UK, a very, a very fucked up place, and where they have this um, sadistic uh, imperial mentality. You know, Australia is a settler colony, Canada, etc. And they don't have this level of gun violence. So to a certain degree, I think it's a mistake for people on the left to be so dismissive of gun control itself. Now, having said that, I think that there is also the point to be made that if gun control is enacted, it will be black people, um, Latino people who are targeted first and foremost. and you know, white people will get away with way much more, um, you know, violation of gun laws. And that is a very real uh, argument and concern. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, in terms of being cavalier about, like, you know, the left needs to arm itself. Um, like, I don't know. I mean, to one, to, to a certain extent, I get that. To another extent, I think we have a long way to go before we can even seriously talk about like putting up a fight like that. 
you know, that said, if you are on the left and you want to buy a bunch of guns right now, fine. I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna say you shouldn't per se, but just, you know, be realistic about where we are in terms of like, you know, no one's storming the winter palace tomorrow. I guess how I would kind of weave my way through all that is all those countries you mentioned and not to downplay the brutality of their state security forces. And, you know, we what we know what the Canadian government has done to indigenous populations in that country. And we know what the British government is, is capable of inflicting on its own citizens, but it doesn't come close to the violence that's inflicted on a daily basis by police in the U.S. on the population, by armed police on the population. Yeah, true. That That's another good point is gun control should include police. Too. Yeah, right. And so uh, also the threat of uh, armed reactionaries committing violence against you with, you know, Again, I said armed, but, you know, with guns, the threat of that in the United States is far greater than in Canada or uh, the UK or Australia. Not again, not to downplay the, the the reactionary elements in those societies, but they're not armed to the teeth and willing to go out and start killing people uh, in this current time. And I think that those two things existing in the US, the the bloodthirsty nature of the cops and the reactionary right kind of justifies a left position that we shouldn't be calling for unilateral disarmament that would only fall on ourselves. Um, But when it comes to like the gun control measures that are really on the table in Congress, like, like, and maybe even ones that are, that go further than what, what, Congress is considering like, you know, total assault weapon bans, assault weapons bans, and like banning certain high capacity magazines. Like that isn't, that isn't, and when we talk about banning, it's like stopping it from being sold, stopping those things from being sold. Like they're, they're not talking about any sort of gun confiscation program at all. When you're talking about laws that stop these things from being sold, it's not the police that are really enforcing that on minority communities. It's enforcement that's happening on the production side, the manufacturing side and distribution side. Now, if now there are probably provisions in those laws that might like come with harsher penalties for possession of certain weapons, in which case, yeah, you could see those things being applied more uh, on on uh, minority populations or left-wing populations. So it's it's tough, but I think there's no doubt that if you make guns a bit harder to, to get, we're not talking confiscation. And even, you know, I, I personally would support confiscation programs like in an ideal world. Um, I'm, we don't live in that ideal world and you'd have to disarm the police before we even get to that point. Uh, because let's remember that the police are responsible for most like gun violence in this country. So if we're trying to stop gun violence, we should disarm the police. Yeah, we the 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 idea of making it harder to purchase guns is a good thing and would 
cut down on a lot of this mass violence that you only see in the U.S. where it is ridiculously easy to get a gun. Ridiculously easy. Yeah, and to be clear, I'm not making a uh, moral case against the left um, being glib about arming itself. It's more of a strategic case. I can understand the argument, especially... I'm not against the government. That shit's silly, right? Like, you're just asking to be... Uh, Droned. We we saw what happened, like, with the move bombing, right? You know, they'll just drop a bomb on you. Uh, you can arm yourself to the teeth as you're asking for death by you know, suicide by cop. And, but when it comes to arming yourself for potential street skirmishes against like proud boys and shit in the future, and not to like be glib about this, but that, that scenario isn't too hard to, you know, it's not too, too hard to believe that we could be heading down that path in the future. And I'm not going to knock people for preparing for that. I'm yeah. not preparing for that. For the record, I'm a, a big giant pussy, and like, <laughs> you know, I'm. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I guess yeah. I just think that we have a lot of uh, organizational capacity building to do. Right. Um, you know, like, so what? Like, a few people arm themselves. Um, you know, it's not enough. Uh, we need to. We need to think bigger or at least in more general terms of, of how we organize ourselves. And maybe a good place to start is getting a bunch of your friends together and doing cardio and hand-to-hand combat. <laughs> well, what was shown with this episode in Texas is that the cops will not defend you. The cops will not protect you. And when the community tries to get together to protect itself, the cops will fucking arrest you and tase you and beat you while a school shooting is going on. Um, This hasn't sparked any immediate drive to pass these gun control measures we've talked about on the show. Uh, Chuck Schumer saying that there won't be a vote on a... House has already passed these measures. Probably won't be a vote in the Senate on them until next month. Uh, He did try to get it attached to a domestic terror law that Democrats are trying to pass, which would empower this very same cops that we just learned won't protect anybody. Just doesn't seem like anything is going to spark any any sort of tighter control of guns in this country. It wasn't kids getting shot. It wasn't five-year-olds getting shot. It's not fourth graders getting shot. Even members of Congress getting popped doesn't do anything. Gabby Giffords got shot. Nothing happened. And it's like, oh, well, she was a Democrat, doesn't move Republicans. And then Steve Scalise gets his dick blown off. Doesn't even prompt anything there either. Like a bunch of Republicans get targeted in a mass shooting. And that doesn't even prompt them. It ain't happening, folks. <laughs> it's not happening. We're, we're, we're here. We're in. I could see the only way this happening is if like teachers and students and parents just stop going to school. And I've seen a lot of walkouts. A lot of students around the country have organized walkouts and there's been talk of something like that happening. Obviously takes a lot more organizing than to just talk about it on a podcast or tweet about it. But some sort of student strike seems like the only way that there might be some way to break forward on this. Or maybe show up to a few more Republican baseball practices. (laughs) See what happens. 
Uh, Fool me once, shame on you. Then there's this other story out of the Buffalo News regarding last week's mass shooting at a uh, supermarket in a predominantly black neighborhood of Buffalo that was carried out allegedly by this white supremacist uh, who believed in uh, replacement theory. Just going to read from the Buffalo News here, quote, cops are investigating whether a retired federal agent had about 30 minutes advance notice of a white supremacist plans to murder black people at a Buffalo supermarket. It's according to two law enforcement officials. Authorities believe the former agent believed to be from Texas was one of at least six individuals who regularly communicated with the accused gunman, Peyton Gendron, Peyton Gendron, in an online chat room where racist hatred was discussed. Two law enforcement sources with direct knowledge of the investigation stated these individuals were invited by Gendron to read about his mass shooting plans and the target location about 30 minutes before Gendron went on to kill 10 people at the Tops Market on Jefferson Avenue on May 14th. Hmm. Huh. Just well, uh, stew on that one for a bit. Well, well, well. An ex-law enforcement guy in a white I'm sure supremacist he just, he, chat room. I'm sure he found he found his uh, white supremacy after he left the police force. It was something he discovered in retirement. Oh, sure, sure. I'm sure, he didn't have any buddies in the police force that he could talk about this stuff with. Yeah, and he was probably just reading the plans. He, you know, just just to read them for his own uh, curiosity. He probably wasn't giving feedback or anything. Anyway, moving on. If I were a financial regulator, I might want to look into a tweet that Elon Musk posted on Friday morning. The world's richest twerp said, quote, Tesla merch can be bought with Doge, soon SpaceX merch too. For those unaware, Musk was referring to a cryptocurrency called Dogecoin, based on an incredibly old meme of a Shiba Inu weirdly glancing at a camera. And after Musk tweeted that out, guess what? The price of Dogecoin jumped almost 10%. Are you saying, are you saying Dogecoin? Are you using a hard yeah. G? Yes, I'm saying Dogecoin. Is that what it is? You do you say Doge? I do. Like a um, you know, the Doge of Venice or whatever. I just I, that's what I've heard other people say. I've always thought it was Dogecoin. I've never heard the uh, Dogecoin before. Well, isn't you know? I mean, it's a dog, so therefore Dog, right? I always thought dog, the meme was like good dog, 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 Dog. Right? It's a joke. (laughs) Anyway, so notably, what Musk tweeted out uh, was old news and might not even be true. On the uh, definitely true part, Tesla has been accepting Dogecoin for certain merchandise since January, but there has been news that SpaceX might soon accept Dogecoin to buy merch since February, and it hasn't happened yet, and... Who knows? It might never happen if Musk's past behavior is any indication. Recall how he settled securities fraud charges with the SEC a few years ago after admitting that he was just sort of making it up by claiming that Tesla would go private at $420 per share and that he had secured funding for the deal. 
So this, yeah. If, if, wait, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. This is what's such bullshit about crypto markets right now. Like, even if it were true, even if it were true that Tesla was about to start accepting, sorry, SpaceX. Tesla SpaceX, is. Sorry. Even if it were true that SpaceX was about to start accepting Dogecoin, as you say. What would that mean? Like, what the fuck would that mean? Does that mean that people are going to buy SpaceX t-shirts with their Dogecoin? Is that what they're going to do? Why would they do that? Why would anybody use their cryptocurrency, which only has value if like you hit it right on the gamble and hold it and it ends up shooting up? Like, that's the only reason to have it right now in these days. Like, it's not an actual exchange of currency because what's the point of that? You can just go and spend money to buy it. It's not like you're buying something illegal or sketchy or you want to be worried that you got caught buying a SpaceX t-shirt. But no, so I, irrational I, that people are like, oh, SpaceX is going to start accepting Dogecoin in their store. We got to buy. This thing's going to the moon. It's gimmicky. It's like uh, going to Disneyland and buying Disney bucks or whatever. Not a single person will buy anything from the SpaceX store with Dogecoin, even if it was even if it was online. Like maybe some idiot would as like a publicity stunt, but other than that, there's no reason to zero reason. All right. So yeah, basically, if I were a financial regulator, I would be subpoenaing Ela's records right now <laughs> to see if he or one of his buddies bought a shit ton of Dogecoin before his tweet. And also, if maybe they sold it like half an hour later after it spiked. Elon's brother, Kimball Musk, you might recall, sold shares in Tesla ahead of tweets by Elon that led up to the billionaire selling shares in the car company. The maneuvers prompted an insider trading investigation, which I, as I understand, is still ongoing. Musk, of course, also appeared to violate securities rules on disclosures in the run-up to his Twitter takeover bid. In related news, Musk is trying to revive the Twitter takeover bid, which has been a disaster for him so far. This week, he said he would post up to $33 billion of his own assets, a move away from his initial financing plan, meaning he would need to borrow roughly $6 billion less to purchase Twitter. That is according to CBS News. Twitter shares were up on the development but the price at around $40 per share at the time of recording is still very far off of the $54.20 per share buyout offer that uh, Elon tendered to kick this whole thing off. This is like when companies blatantly break the law to union bust. They don't care because the punishment is so minuscule that the upside of breaking a union outweighs it every time. Yeah. And in Elon's case, oh, what's SEC is going to bust him for this and make him make him pay 20 million bucks. Dude's worth hundreds of billions like he doesn't care. And he probably made more than that off the illegal activity. Moving on to the White House, Joe Biden is reportedly considering canceling ten thousand dollars in student loan debt be means tested. Washington Post reports that the White House's latest plans call for limiting debt forgiveness to Americans who earned less than $150,000 in the previous year, or for married couples, $300,000. It's unclear whether the administration will simultaneously require interest in payments to resume at the end of August when the current pause is scheduled to lapse. So currently, uh, people have not been paying student loans during the pandemic, 
haven't paid him at all during the Biden administration, and he's bragged about that. If his plan is just 10K, people are going to have to start repaying their student loans in October or whenever they, sometime, some month around then. They're going to end up being more pissed. Sure, you got 10,000 forgiven, but for a lot of people that, sure, it'll cover some people. It'll cover some people's loans, all their loans. But it won't cover everybody's loan. It won't cover all their loans. And they're going to have to be resuming paying what they haven't been paying for three years. So they're going to end up with a pretty raw deal here. Plus the interest on it alone adds up to where Joe Biden's probably just going to end up paying like half of the interest payment on whatever the life of the loan is with these $10,000. The White House has obviously studied this issue and determined that it has the authority to cancel student loan debt. And if they have the authority to cancel $10,000, then the White House has the authority to cancel it all. But they're not going to do it. They're going to do this bullshit half measure that's going to piss off people who have student loans and piss off people who don't and think that someone's getting a free deal here. Someone's getting a free ride. Bad all around. Bad all around. All right, one last story. It looks like Russia is making gains in the Donbass. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Quote, Russian forces made fresh gains in fierce fighting in eastern Ukraine's Donbass region Friday, engaging in street battles in the city of Severodonetsk as Moscow brought to bear its advantage in firepower on outgunned Ukrainian defenders. The Russian advances, if they continue, could encircle a large grouping of Ukrainian forces fighting in the easternmost part of the Ukrainian-administered Donbass, resulting in a major defeat for Kyiv. I was talking about on last week's show how we don't seem to be getting much information about the war in eastern Ukraine and just how the billions of dollars in U.S. weaponry that are going to help the Ukrainians fight this war in the east how effective that's been? Well, according to these reports, it's not proving very effective. Ukraine is asking for even heavier arms now in the form of long-range rockets. And the Biden administration is considering it, although the Russian government says that providing such weaponry, these new long-range rocket uh, launch systems, that that would be a, a red line here. I guess the question is the same as I have last week. Like, okay, if we give them these long-range rockets, is that going to result in the Ukrainian army being able to recapture the entirety of the Donbass and Crimea? Because if it's not, then the only way this is ending is in some sort of negotiated settlement. That might include land exchanges. I don't know. Like, that's up to the negotiators and the whoever's got the strong position at the table. But right now it's Russia. When it comes to those territories, or that's what it appears to be. Of course, it's much harder to fight a war of aggression than a war of defense. So maybe the idea is to just turn the Donbass into a a fucking meat grinder and have this war last for years and wait it out. That's the policy, then people should be upfront about it. I feel like that's, that's a little bit harder to get the U.S., to buy into spending hundreds of billions of dollars over years to facilitate the deaths of tens of thousands of people in Ukraine. 
Nasty, nasty bit of business over there. All right, uh, time for FOIA Follies. Not much of a week for Follies, but uh, FOIA anyway. Yeah, not much of a week for Follies. And uh, as such, I have no new requests to report this week. A reminder that uh, if you do have any suggestions or requests, slide into the DMs, the District Sentinel, uh, at the DC Sentinel on uh, Twitter.com. I do, however, have an update on a request and also some more on the infant formula crisis, which we have covered on this segment. Not FOIA-related news per se, but um, a congressional hearing, uh, you know, as a, an addendum to stuff we have covered through FOIA. So here it is. First, the update on the request. The Justice Department gave a preview of its final response to one of our requests related to the uh, national uprising two years ago. We asked for emails of Attorney General William Barr or his chief of staff, Will, Will Levi, containing the terms anarchists or anarchy and other emails with the phrase, call me. DOJ said that they have two emails of Attorney General Barr with either the term anarchists or anarchy and, quote, over 400 records with the emails of Chief of Staff Levi with the term call me. Now, I'm not saying that all of those 400 plus records are indicative of something sketchy. Sometimes you just want to talk to someone over the phone instead of sending emails or texts back and forth over and over again over the course of several hours. But also, if you wanted to avoid having something in writing because of public records laws, call me is a useful phrase for you. And possibly one or several of those 400 plus records, uh, you know, maybe there's smoke and fire there. Who knows? Anyway, DOJ asked if I wanted to narrow my request. I responded by asking them for a list of subject lines and correspondence so I can make a more informed decision about narrowing my request on the call me emails. And we will see what they say. Nevertheless, I thought the uh, number of those records was a little bit eyebrow raising. Moving on to the infant formula crisis. This week, there were congressional hearings on the shortage. The House Energy and Commerce Committee heard from the CEO of Abbott Laboratories, a guy who sounds like he's a SpongeBob character, Christopher Calamari, Squidward's cousin-ass name. Anyway, Calamari gave an update on the contaminated production facility in Sturgis, Michigan, which has been exacerbating the nationwide shortage to crisis levels. And here's what the CEO had to say. We plan to start production at Sturgis the first week of June. We will, we will, be, we will begin with the production of Elicare before turning to the production of other formulas in Similac. From restart, we estimate that it will take six to eight weeks before a product is available on shelves. Probably not what most parents wanted to hear. Sorry, but things won't get back to normal until the middle of summer. Well, bad news because Calamari's forecast was, to put it charitably, optimistic. That's according to FDA Commissioner Robert Califf, who testified earlier in the hearing. Here's what he had to say about Abbott's reopening plan and uh, their competence in general. Abbott actually did start remediating the plant 
but it was so bad. We met with them yesterday. There were so many steps in this, even though they've been working at it since day one. They're still not ready to go, but they will be in the next several weeks. Thank you. Sweet. What a functioning society we have. Speaking of which, the FDA is not blameless in this whole affair. You might recall that it was warned about problems with the Sturgis facility last fall. But according to Califf's testimony, which uh, this excuse was rolled out for the first time this week, the agency did not act on the warnings until mid-February because of COVID-related staffing issues in the mailroom, which reportedly delayed the transmission of a whistleblower report up the chain of command. Hmm, if only there was some way to send mail electronically. Anyway, the explanation was also odd considering that the whistleblower was interviewed by FDA officials in December, well before mid-February. The FDA also claimed that the whistleblower would have been interviewed sooner but wasn't because of health reasons. House Appropriations Committee Chair Rosa DeLauro called bullshit on that, telling Politico, quote, we have confirmed these claims are exaggerated and have documentation to prove that the whistleblower was accommodating, willing, and able to meet with the FDA to discuss these serious allegations. But we shouldn't lose sight of what caused this crisis. Abbott itself and a system built on capital accumulation above all else. For example, whistleblower testimony alleges, quote, for several years, some of the equipment associated with the drying process at the Sturgis site was failing and in need of a repair. As a result, a number of product flow pipes were pitting and leaving pinholes. This allowed bacteria to enter the system and at times led to bacteria not being adequately cleaned out, end of quote. But rather than investing in new equipment, Abbott executives spent company money on stock buybacks and dividend increases to enrich its shareholders, which include some of the world's largest investment firms like Vanguard, BlackRock, State Street, and Morgan Stanley. It seems like a few weeks ago, right-wing politicians were mad at the FDA for shutting down Abbott, blaming the agency taking action on the formula shortage. On May 10th, for example, Mitt Romney decried how, quote, the recall and shutdown impacts affordability and availability of infant formula. Not terribly concerned with the dead and hospitalized babies linked to the Sturgis contamination, weirdly. But now it seems like Abbott's scumminess is unavoidable, even to politicians on the right. Here's Virginia Republican Morgan Griffith grilling Chris Calamari. So here's the deal. I think you got more than a porous... A floor problem or a roof problem at Sturgis. When you look at the FDA reports over the years and you see similar problems occurring, and then you read the whistleblower report, which says that, that members of your team at Sturgis were hiding information from your office, from the home office, to, that, that could lead to uh, some of the problems that the FDA has, has mentioned in their testimony that you know about. It seems to me that you have a culture problem what steps are you taking to change that culture and have any heads rolled? So, Representative, thank you for the questions. Um, I think there are a couple of pieces there. First, on the um, culture uh, problem, um, I don't think it's a problem. I think we were, there, we were there last week, and I saw generations of employees who, worked, who work in Sturgis with pride, who feed their own families, and they are committed to making steps to improve. And we're making those steps uh, to address in the plant, 
uh, physically, processes. Um, you also mentioned the, um, the observations. We are working rigorously to address them. I, I think the team's commitment and passion to quickly address them is there. And Representative, we're going to learn from this. Babies dead and starving and heartwarming learning opportunity for corporate executives. How sweet that we can all grow from this. Anyway, here's Griffith pushing back on Calamari's self-indulgent, soppy horseshit. Well, and, and I understand you're trying to put the best face on it you can, but I toured a, a Pepsi facility and a bottling uh, manufacturer in my district last week, and I was very pleased when they said to me, you got to put on these shoe covers. I had not been with muddy feet climbing on the roof, but the FDA commissioner said that's what they found, that your folks didn't seem to think that was a problem at the Sturgis plant when they had roofers on the roof working around, and then they walked through the food production section with mud on their feet. And so even if the whistleblower's wrong and they weren't hiding stuff from you, when, when you see things like not inspecting uh, the cans at the proper time and when there's, there's food in the seams, could be getting in the seams later, causing a bacterial problem, and you see muddy feet walking through, it, it doesn't take... Uh, a food scientist to figure out you don't want going through a facility like that, somebody who's got muddy feet and just came off the roof. So I beg to differ. I think you do have a problem. Uh, totally unrelated, just randomly mentioning this, but when there was a tainted baby formula scandal in China in 2008, two producers were sentenced to death and executed. Now we're not pro-death penalty on the show here or anything. No, no, no. But <laughs> interns, bring out that garbage can. We are pro garbage can. We indeed are pro garbage can. Here it comes, that stinky garbage can. Yikes. Stinky. Yes. Uh. I don't have anything to add, just uh, that I shit a bunch in the garbage can. I have a feeling it's about to get a lot stinkier when we're through with it today. Garbage candidate number one, the Uvalde police, and all the other law enforcement involved in responding to the school shooting this week. They're lying fucking cowards. That's what they are. Now, I'm not saying I would have gone in there gun blazing, but I'm not a police officer. I'm not getting half the budget in the fucking city to do shit like this. I'm not demanding that people respect me and I get free coffee when I go places. And there's a flag with a blue line through it that there's a whole identity based around me. Yeah, these, these dipshits have been screaming for like two years about how they put it all on the line for us to, to sleep safely in our beds at night and therefore they should never be criticized for, I don't know, uh, sticking their knee on someone's neck for eight minutes and 45 seconds. First, it was the story that the shooter had body armor, which is why cops couldn't take him down. That turned out to be a lie. He didn't have body armor. Then it was the story that, oh, a resource officer at the school engaged with him and uh, he was overcome though and the shooter gained access to the building well that's been a lie the resource officer never made contact with him the latest report i saw on that and if this is probably bullshit is the resource officer drove by the shooter not thinking he was the shooter but instead pursued a teacher thinking the teacher was the shooter 
that sounds even too ridiculous to be true. I mean, it's it's terrible. It makes the cop look like a fucking idiot, but it's almost too. I don't. I don't know. Like 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 I said, they're still trying to work their story out right now. Yeah, I'm sure it'll change uh, ten times between now and when the episode actually comes out. Yeah, we saw the videos of the officers restraining parents who wanted to go rescue their kids. Meanwhile, uh, police confirmed to a local news reporter that many officers went into the school to save their own kids as the school shooting was unfolding, while officers restrained the parents of other kids, the parents who didn't happen to be police officers. So yeah, the uh, the police here nominated this week. Garbage cannon number two, door control heads. Ted Cruz, Greg Abbott, J.D. Vance. All the Republicans are in on the same argument right now. Now that their prior defense against mass shootings, having a good guy with a gun, has proven to not work here. <laughs> there were lots of cops there. They all got, they, none of them stopped this happening. So now we need a different one. And the, what they've settled on is a one door policy that schools should have one door, one heavily secured door. And that's it. Defend that door. Defend that door. Here's Ted Cruz making that case. School's safer. And one of the things that, that, that everyone agreed is don't have all of these unlocked back doors. Have one door into and out of the school and have that one door armed police officers at that door. If that had happened, if those federal grants had gone to this school, when that psychopath arrived, the armed police officers could have taken him out. Again, there were there were police there. They didn't stop the shooting there. They didn't stop the shooting at the door. Also, all these kids now, they go through shooter training drills. They go through mass shooter training drills. And the last few mass shooters probably went through these drills because they're young <laughs> and these drills have been around for a while. They know how to act like they know what classrooms are going to do. They know what kids in classes are going to do in these situations. They know the one door policy. If we ever implemented a one door policy, it's all deflection. It's all deflection because the actual stuff that would put some dent in this violence would mean cutting into gun industry profits. The Republican Party and to a certain extent, the Democratic Party, I mean, not so much on this issue. I'll give them credit here is interested in maintaining gun profits at all costs, not saving school kids. So first of all, was was this not was this like a Trump idea initially? Because it sounds very Trump. Yeah, probably. Folks, we just got to get one door. I am. I'm not. I'm not good at Trump uh, impersonations. Secondly, this sounds like a, a policy solution that was suggested by a school shooter. <laughs> like, this is a way to get a lot more people killed. <laughs> yeah. If you have one door, you know where everyone's coming out. Not to mention the, uh, the you know, the uh, the hazards, the fire hazards, right? I mean, I guess they might be saying that, well, no, you could have exits. You just couldn't enter from there. But then obviously that, you know, you could prop open an exit door so a school shooter could slip in that way. So the only logical outcome is to literally only have one door. One door. And uh, for many, many reasons, 
it's just asking for asphyxiation deaths, uh, trampling deaths, and also, yeah, like I said, a school shooter, if they knew that everyone was coming out that door, like, the death tolls would be fucking quadrupled what they are now. Garbage candidate number three, Chuck Schumer. He let the Senate go on recess instead of working on gun measures. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, he tried to attach some gun control legislation to a new domestic terror law that Democrats are trying to push, one that would empower the very same cops who just let a bunch of kids die in an elementary school. You know, you saw, and I'm you do not have to hand it to Beto O'Rourke, but you saw how like him just going to this press conference and yelling at Greg Abbott and some other people like fired people up, fired a bunch of libs up because the bar right now is on the fucking floor of how Democrats are to respond to this because no one in Congress is doing shit. Schumer's like, oh, well, this is terrible. But, you know, I've, I've begun the process to maybe hold a vote sometime in June. It's like, no, like there is, you know, everybody buys the conservative line after these things not to politicize it. Don't politicize this. So Democrats, you know, are careful with what they do and say They're like, OK, well, let's let's give it a few days. Let the morning go on. No, politicize the shit out of this. Like right now, Ted Cruz is at the NRA conference in Houston. Like there's so much to politicize here. Yeah, I uh, I hate to admit it, um, but yeah, Beto, uh, he did something. And I think he, uh, not a fan of him, slightly, but people want to see their leaders leading and fighting for them. You know, and... Uh, <sighs> You know, so what if it's grandstanding or performative, whatever, the whole world's a stage, motherfucker, and uh, credit to Beto for getting on it. We've uh, we've always been hard on Beto. We'll continue to be hard on Beto, but I will admit that I guess we didn't realize how good we had it with Beto until Pete Buttigieg came around. Garbage candidate number four, Scott Pruitt. He's back. The former EPA director under Trump was knocked in a federal report for forcing his security detail to drive in an unsafe manner all around D.C. One incident covered in the report happened in 2017 when Pruitt made an agent turn on the lights and sirens and drive into oncoming traffic so that Pruitt could get his dry cleaning on the way to being on the way to a meeting that he was 35 minutes late for. Agents interviewed said Pruitt both specifically directed drivers to use lights and sirens and also directed them, quote, implicitly through his body language and cues. In other words, he'd just whine in the backseat about it and shit. Be like, he'd grumble if they weren't driving fast enough and make fucking bullshit comments. Just a total piece of shit move. When one agent reminded Pruitt that the lights and sirens are only supposed to be used for an emergency, Pruitt got pissed and refused to talk to him. There was an uncomfortable silence the rest of the drive, and that agent was removed within days. It's the worst, man. What uh, an the asshole. Silent what treatment. a huge asshole. What a, ah. Like, I know exactly the type of guy that'd be doing this. 
Yeah. Because he'd yell at he'd yell at you in the back seat in high school to run red lights so you can get to the drive through. <laughs> Garbage can number five. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt signed the most extreme anti-abortion law in the country. It's modeled after the Texas bill that allows citizens to sue other citizens for getting an abortion, not just the pregnant people who might get the medical procedure, but also the doctors and nurses who perform it, someone who might drive them to a clinic. Stitt has also signed a bill into law that just straight up makes abortion a felony. That's going to go into law next year. This sucks for people in Oklahoma. Sucks for people in Texas who were driving to Oklahoma since last year to get medical procedures after Texas passed its law. Could get worse, though. Garbage candidate number six is Mark Sherwood, who's running against it in the uh, Republican primary for the uh, to, to be governor of Oklahoma. And Sherwood is is trying to attack Stitt from the right on this issue because the law that Stitt signed has exceptions for the life of a mother or person and also for uh, police reported rape and incest. So Sherwood's position is life starts before conception. So there shouldn't be an exception for rape or incest because that baby was created, I guess, like in the intent to commit this act or God had it predetermined that this baby was going to happen. So you can't even have those exceptions. He cited um, Jeremiah 1, 5. Is that chapter 1, verse 5, I think? I, I don't know Bible citation. But he said that... Uh, Apparently, this Bible verse is, I knew you before you were created in the womb. So, he said, I believe life begins in God before it begins at conception. Does this mean it's illegal to jack off? Sounds like it. Does it also mean it's illegal to menstruate? Yes. (laughs) Might as well throw all the women in jail, just in case. Man. These guys are sickos, total freaks. Like this, this was covered by Newsweek. You know, that's bad because it was covered by Newsweek where if you look at their masthead now or who's writing their articles, it's now Newsweek has basically been turned into fucking like the free beacon. It's it's a right wing rag for a bunch of fucking wingnut welfare dipshits who've been bouncing from one billionaire funded, uh, you know, propaganda lie factory to another and even this was a bridge too far for newsweek who are we looking at who are we throwing in the garbage can this week sk um i mean the the most obvious excuse me i hiccuped i hicked up um (laughs) the most obvious answer i guess was the uvalde police i don't know how we couldn't right I guess we have to. I guess the the one question is, do we want to invoke our extraordinary authority and also throw in the door control people? But I don't know. Maybe we don't want to do that too much. 
I think it's we used it last week. I think we need to be sparing with how we use that authority. I think the Uvalde police and pretty much and when we say Uvalde police, we mean all the all the police involved here. I know there's yes. different uh, jurisdictions and sheriff's offices and border patrol and all this other shit, but they're all garbage can worthy in our book. Uvalde police, you are going in the garbage can. Pigs in the can. Mm. That's the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for support. We'll be back next week. We'll see if America finally has a good week next week. <laughs> Odds are stacked against it. But we'll have a brand new episode. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be. <laughs> <laughs>